Good morning. My name is John Weiss. I'm one of the elders here. I'm a pastor. It's my pleasure to bring you God's Word on occasion. Uh, if you're a visitor with us, I just want to extend a warm welcome. Thanks so much. It's been great for us to uh, get to meet you, and um, I look forward to, to getting to know you more. We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Our reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Hear these words of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the ministry of Christ, who revealed not only your will for salvation, but how we may come to you to be satisfied. We pray that you would open our hearts now by your Holy Spirit to understand and receive your word, that we would come to trust in your promise and obey it. Amen. Amen. As we continue on the Sermon on the Mount, it's critical for us to remember what this sermon is so that we can hear Jesus' teachings in the right way. The Sermon on the Mount, as we began the series, as a way of reminder, the Sermon on the Mount is not a series of teachings which we obey in order to earn God's righteousness or earn favor before God. That was never the design for God's law, even the law given through Moses. Now, God gave the law to Israel after he delivered them from Egypt, not before. It's important to remember the law was given in a gracious context. The law was not given to Israel for them to earn their righteousness, but so that they could learn their need for God's righteousness. You see, the problem with the law, as we heard in our assurance of pardon, was not with the law itself but rather a problem with the stony hearts which heard that law. As the prophet greater than Moses, therefore, we hear Christ in the Sermon on the Mount ascending the mount, not to give a replacement law, but to teach us what the fulfillment of that law looks like in new hearts. He's declaring that God is finally fulfilling the promise of the new covenant. One way to think about this entire sermon is, this is what it looks like to have God's law written on my heart on hearts of flesh. The Sermon on the Mount, therefore, is the teaching of Jesus which is supposed to be lived out by His disciples, those who are new creations in Him. And that backdrop is helpful to understand the entire sermon, but it's absolutely critical for us to understand this beatitude this morning. In this fourth beatitude, Jesus uses a vivid word picture from our own human experience to show the real spiritual condition of what we are to, to receive from Him. His people, if they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they have a true and vivid sense of their need for God. So as we look at Jesus' teaching this morning, we'll see four aspects. First, we're going to look at what God's created world has to teach us about the nature of hunger. We're going to look at and reflect upon our bodies as God's design to understand what hunger means. We'll then look at the false hungers by which men lose their fellowship with God, their deceiving hungers. And then we'll look at how God creates within us true hunger by which He brings us to Himself for His righteousness. And finally, we'll see how God promises to satisfy that desire for righteousness in us, in our lives. So, by the phrase those who are blessed are those who hunger and thirst, Jesus is drawing out a word picture from our physical bodies to show a profound and spiritual truth. God has left his fingerprint on the whole created realm. He has left 
little echoes of his nature in our nature, in the world around us, if we have eyes to see. Consider for a moment the body. God designed you as a creature to need food from outside yourself in order to sustain your physical frame. God made the stomach in such a way that when it's empty, we hunger. God's design uses hunger and thirst in ways that we would be acutely aware of our need. Now, this is a very profound truth, but, but listen closely. If you're hungry, you need food. If you're thirsty, you need drink. Now, it can be ignored for a time, can't it? We can fast, we can, we can go without food or drink for a time, but eventually that hunger and thirst begins to become all the more compelling, and it, it begins to shape and direct all of our actions. Eventually, we eat, and then we're full, and like clockwork, we are hungry again. The point is so simple, it's almost too simple for us, and we miss it. But hunger and thirst is an awareness of a need from something without us, something outside of ourselves, in order that we have, uh, that we would be able to live. From our human experience, we should be able to learn a valuable lesson from God's world. If we understand God's word, it helps us to read God's world. We are not our own source of life. That's what hunger and thirst teaches us. We can't sustain ourselves. You are not the source of your own life. You need life from outside of you in order to live. God is the source of all life. He is the author of life. He is his own cause for being. He is sustained by himself. We are not. That's why Jesus says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed because they're aware of a need for something without them, something outside of them. They desire a righteousness which comes from God. Now, this link between hunger and righteousness is not a coincidence in the natural world. It was placed there for a reason. And this has been with us from the very beginning, which brings us to the false hungers which deceive men. In the beginning, God created a garden, and he placed the man and the woman in that garden. Now, it was there in that garden that God would bring his gracious presence to bless. He provided for them food in the garden from every tree save one. They had free reign to eat any tree they desired except the one that was prohibited. This abundance which God gave them is an understated picture of the depth of the glory and goodness of who God is and how satisfying he is. Anything we desire in God, we can have. Nonetheless, our first parents, they lost fellowship with God because they were deceived with the one thing that would not satisfy their hunger, the one thing that was off limits. Not being content with what they had, neither in God himself nor in his abundant provision for them, they turned away from him, and paradise was lost for a time. Genesis 3 records so tragically how it happened. In verse 4, we read, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now the woman saw in her perspective that the tree was good for food, but this was a false and lying deception. God had forbidden to eat from that tree, and therefore the link between hunger and appetite, and evil desire 
was there in the beginning. That tree surely was not good for food. It it destroyed them. But something had become twisted in their perspective, which pulled them to desire something that would destroy. Not being content with the fellowship they had in God, not listening to his word, and instead beginning to doubt his goodness, they turned from him and were destroyed. And what they thought would grant them wisdom actually brought folly and death. Having therefore sinned against God, their spiritual nakedness immediately became apparent to them. They had lost communion with God and were totally ashamed. Now, it's not just in the beginning that evil desire and sin have been linked, but you and I have eaten of that same tree. Truly, what happened in that very first sin is at work in every temptation and sin that you commit. Instead of desiring fellowship with God, you're enticed by a false hunger, by that which doesn't satisfy. It's a pleasure, but the word says it's a passing pleasure. It's a expiring pleasure. James tells us that our desire turns fatal even in the testing. In James 1.14, it says this, but each person, when he is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desire. But then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, the aftertaste of our sin should be, as James says, a rottenness in the bones. It should taste like death. But here is the difference between those who remain dead in their sins and those who will be blessed. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. And therefore, we rightly infer that those who have no desire for hunger and righteousness are under a great curse. If you have no sense of your need for God, if your conscience is not wounded after you sin and break his law, you are in the most grave spiritual danger. The curse is, the curse that lies upon you, is that you're blind to your sin and you're full of the empty pleasures of sin. You're trying to drink from a supply that comes up empty. As God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2.13, he says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. You see, there's a connection between our hunger and evil desire and satisfaction in God, and there's a connection between our thirst and being satisfied in God. Now, as sad as this terrible condition is, as sad as this great evil which God's people had committed, God can use even this bitter pill for the sake of his own gracious purpose. Now, when we normally sin, or when we sin, rather, we normally experience the consequence. That consequence either form, it comes in the form of an external circumstance, some sort of consequence of our sin that we feel in our circumstance externally, a sickness a brokenness of relationships, some sort of sin or sickness. But rather, there also is an internal sense of our sin. The consequence of sin, most surely, is shame and guilt. That actually is God's grace to teach us to stop doing that. Now, if we should be awakened by God to our repeated folly, eventually we will learn that we must never keep going back to that dry well. That's why Jesus says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are aware of their need are blessed. They're blessed because God is beginning to create within them a hunger. He's cultivating that hunger for them of what will truly satisfy. Not the passing pleasures of sin, 
but righteousness, a righteousness from God. Now, this hunger and thirst for righteousness has two aspects. There are two sides to this coin, if you will. First, this hunger is a desire for right standing before God. If you should come to stand before God and appear before him as judge of all, just as we heard with Adam and Eve, you would realize that you are naked and have no covering. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse, in chapter 4, verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him before whom they must give account. The God who sees all is also the judge of all men, and there is no covering of fig leaves of excuses for what you have done. There's no covering not only for your transgressions that you've committed, there's no covering even for the least mixed motive of something that you didn't carry out. He knows not only your, your actual transgressions, but even your hidden thoughts and your evil desires, your evil intentions. Yet as harrowing as a picture of that is, as that is, if you have any awareness of your standing before God, apart from Jesus Christ, even that awareness is the beginning of a blessed condition. Because that awareness God is using to bring himself, bring you to himself. Doubtless it is, a man would not undergo heart transplant if he was not aware of his impending coronary failure. And so it is the promise that God puts forth in the new covenant that he will take out the heart of stone and he will put within you a heart of flesh. Nothing else will do. It's the grace of God, therefore, to awaken you to your condition apart from Christ. You are blessed, brothers and sisters, if you have an awareness of your need for a righteousness that comes from without, a righteousness that comes from someone other than you. You are blessed if you have awareness of that need because God is giving you that awareness. It is not an awareness that comes just from tasting the passing pleasures. Now, as a man is being drawn to God, the Spirit convicts him of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He begins to awaken him to a, an awareness of the stupor and false empty pleasures. Now, as we've seen, not only is each particular sin a violation of God's law, but we have a greater problem, don't we, than our actual sins. Jesus doesn't say if we, we are blessed if we hunger and thirst for righteous deeds or righteous actions or even a righteous record. Jesus says we are blessed if we are hungry for righteousness, being put at a righteous state with God. That is what Jesus intends by a hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's something lacking in who we are, and therefore we're blessed if we are aware of that hunger. We're blessed because he's using it to draw, him, draw us to himself. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be satisfied. How will God satisfy our hunger there? Well, God doesn't just satisfy our lack of righteousness by wiping the slate clean. Far greater than that, he restores to us who come by faith to Jesus Christ, not only from the guilt of individual sins, but from the state of animosity towards God by giving a righteousness not of our own, but from Christ. In John's gospel, we hear how Jesus offers himself to the one as spiritual food and drink to satisfy our need. In John 6, verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
That is why Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. Because if they come to him, if that hunger causes them to seek him and come to him, they will be satisfied. When you come to Jesus Christ and taste of him as your righteousness, you will be totally satisfied. God invites us in the Psalms, in Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Now, this tasting of Christ is a spiritual act of the whole self in which a man by faith partakes of Christ. And that coming to him is a spiritual coming. It's a movement of the heart and soul by which a man hears what God puts forth in the gospel and rests upon Christ in his finished work. Now, Jesus promises that man will be satisfied. And I know of no greater peace or confidence that can come to the soul of a child of God than recognizing he will satisfy you, not just once in your initial coming, but as you come day by day. For the one who comes to feast on Christ, he will never hunger for anything else. He will never thirst for anything else. So my question to you this morning is, what about you? We've talked about the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. What about you? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Have you discerned the emptiness of all your temptations and sins in which you engage? Do you see that apart from being satisfied with eternal food, that you will come up empty always? Or are you indifferent to your need for God? I must warn you, if you are indifferent to your need for Christ, that you will have no peace in this life and you must not be comfortable in your complacency. Oh, that God would give you an awareness of your lack in yourself. Instead of trying to lick the bottom of the broken cisterns which Jeremiah spoke of, listen to what Christ offers you instead. In John chapter 7, says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, the final day of the festival, in which they had just eaten and drinking for days and days, Jesus stood up to those who presumably were satisfied, and he says to them, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, a desire for right standing with God will not end in just a desire with right standing, but it will necessarily move forward into a desire for right living. That's the initial righteousness that we have, right standing before God, but it must work itself out in right living before God. Though the hunger which Christ speaks of is going to be satisfied, at the same time, that hunger actually begins to grow and expand. Now, this is a little paradoxical, but track with me for a second. Throughout the entire Beatitudes, those who are in the blessed condition stay in that blessed condition. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit don't discount the treasure of the kingdom of God and then become rich in themselves. They stay poor in spirit even while receiving the richness that God gives them. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. They don't become indifferent to the sin, their sin. Blessed are the meek. The meek stay meek. They don't become proud. In the very same way, those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God they must not become sick of the meal. It's not like they get sick every day and day in and day out of the same meal that God offers. It's not like human food. Now that sense, the sense is in this beatitude is the one who believes on Christ will be satisfied by him so that he hungers for nothing else 
not that he doesn't continue to hunger for God. Here, there, here then is a warning against us having tasted of Christ, but then becoming complacent with the comfortability of remaining sin. Now, as Jesus is teaching from the mountaintop a picture of Mount Sinai, we might recall how God provided for his people with food and drink in the Exodus itself. What happened before and after Mount Sinai is a picture of what it means to be satisfied and to continue in God. Being their good God and king, he provided for their needs. You might remember that he sent manna every day, and eventually he sent quail, and he poured forth water from the rock. But in their hearts, they were not satisfied, and they desired to return to Egypt. Paul references this and applies it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they fell in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. How are we to understand this? if they drank from Christ, if they ate of Christ. Well, we must understand it this way. Their partaking of that food and drink, though it was of Christ, was only a superficial and external partaking. The book of Hebrews says that they were not united by faith to what they heard. They were not united by faith to what they experienced. Now, those who have tasted of Christ must therefore learn the lesson from what happened in Egypt. They must not desire to turn back. After coming to Christ, it is true, we do not automatically lose our appetite for every sin that has formerly enticed us. Now, there is, or at least there should be, a dramatic change in our affections, our desires, our wants, our our loves. Everything should change, but not everything changes automatically. We must proactively refuse to eat, as Paul says, from the table of demons. We can't allow ourselves to return to the sin which so easily entangles us. So what are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? If you've tasted of Christ, do you long to see the righteousness of God, not only positionally before him, but also worked out in your life? Do you yearn along with David for God to bring about truth in the inward heart? Or do you want to go back to the household of slavery in Egypt. God has brought you to Christ, the house of bread, and yet for many of those in Israel, they wanted to return back to the house of bondage. Are you tempted, like Jeremiah said, to return to broken cisterns? I must warn you, brothers and sisters, do not go back. There is nothing to be had in re-engaging in the passing pleasures of sin. In closing, for those who come to him, Jesus' promise is fundamentally, radically true. You will be satisfied. If you hunger and thirst for God, you will be satisfied. God does not create in you a hunger for righteousness, which he will not satisfy. All of your greatest desires for sanctification, for communion with God, will be complete in him. Every righteous desire, you do not have a hunger for God that God will not answer. 
And this brings us again, it's hard for me not to go here, to remember what happened on the mount. Just like Jesus intentionally goes up on the mountain, when he begins to speak of hunger and thirst for God, we must remember what God promises in our final state. In the book of Exodus 24, there's something that happens that I just want to call your attention to in closing of a prophetic picture, a little foretaste of our blessedness that we will look forward to on that final day when we are united with our maker. In Exodus 24, 9 through 11, it says this, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, now you remember Nadab and Abihu did not remain, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of Israel. That is, he didn't lay his hand on them to strike them. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the redemption which is ours in Christ. We, we ask that you would deliver us from the temptations of that which does not satisfy, and grant us your spirit that we would never thirst again. Through Christ we pray. Amen.